Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Voice of Adoptees, which brings together diverse and unique voices from around the world to share their stories. If you liked today's episode, remember to give us a like, subscribe, and leave a review. Here's your host, David Shunk. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Voice of Adoptees. We are here with Melissa, joining us from Pennsylvania. Welcome, Melissa. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So why don't you tell us about yourself, you know, who you are, a little about your story, and then we'll jump in to the details. Yeah. So my name is Melissa Rubido Richards. I am the founder of Adoptee Thoughts. I am an adoptee, an advocate, an author. I have two books on adoption. What White Parents Should Know About Transracial Adoption came out about two years ago, and the follow-up companion workbook will be out July 18th. And I've kind of been just exploring this work over the past five-ish years. I got into it by sharing my story about how I found out I was adopted at 19. And as you can imagine, there's been a lot of like searching for my identity, my reunion with my birth siblings and my birth mother and stuff like that. So I've been sharing little bits and pieces on my platform. I've been really like on Instagram and TikTok and just kind of like breaking down pieces about adoption in general to kind of share that there's much more nuance to the story. And this past year, I really have uh, delved in to being an adoption educator. So I've been hosting workshops privately and with adoption agencies to teach social workers and adoptive parents and adoption professionals all about how complex adoption can be and how to m- more ethically go about it. And so adoptive parents are not kind of doing damage control control down the line, that they're aware, they're, they know how to be trauma-informed, child-centered, and be aware of like integrating like cultural competency in their day-to-day life. Wow. <laughs> so you definitely dove right into it. That's awesome. That's, it's really cool to see someone, you know, very passionate about adoption, and that's just awesome. So you brought up a lot of good points, and there are actually a lot of the questions that I had. So we'll start from the beginning. Finding out you were adopted at 19, that's, you know, I'm sure that brings up a lot of emotions and feelings. How did that make you feel? Oh, yeah. So initially, I was very, very angry, as I think most people would be in that situation. And it wasn't like I ever thought that, like, oh, my parents aren't my parents. They're not my real mom and dad. Like, that wasn't it for me. It was like the fact about being lied about my identity for so many years. And I grew up in an Italian Portuguese immigrant American family. So they were like super big on knowing where you came from, embracing your culture and stuff like that. And so growing up and being told like, you know, I I was pressured to learn Italian in school and like speak it with my grandparents and with my family and like all like the cultural things at school would be like, oh, represent your family. I would bring like either Portuguese dishes or Italian dishes. We had the huge family parties on Christmas and Thanksgiving and all that stuff. And meanwhile, like there was another aspect of my life where I would go to school and kids would make fun of me for being darker. They would say I couldn't play with them in kindergarten. And then as I got older in high school, like I started to experience a lot more racism and working at my dad's restaurant, people would just assume that I didn't even speak English. I I didn't have papers. They would make cruel jokes. And then my parents would just say, you know what, don't worry about it. Like you're just darker because, you know, your great grandparents darker and this and that. And 
Like, this is in the age of the early 2000s. So, like, the Jersey Shore was huge back then. And so, I think people were, like, used to seeing, like, how tan Italians can be. And so, I was able to fit in enough that if I would say, like, oh, yeah, these are my parents. They're Italian and Portuguese. Mm -hmm. They'd be like, oh, okay, and kind of let it go. But anybody else, especially, like, people of color, as I got older in school, like, I started hanging out with more Latinos and diverse group. And then that's where I just felt comfortable. But then at the same time, my parents had a lot of prejudices against people of color, including Latinos. And so, when I found out, it was very, very confusing because I was like, okay, so I'm Colombian. And you guys feel this way. How am I different? So there was a lot of anger and frustration and just confusion. And I went, I struggled with like mental health really bad in college because I was 19. I was in my like going into my sophomore year around that time. And the only access to like a therapist that I had was a school like counselor that was like freshly out of grad school herself. So she had no idea how to handle it. And like, if you aren't going to see like a trauma-informed therapist or an adoption-competent therapist, that can be completely out of their ballpark. And so they weren't even used to like things like intergenerational trauma. So they were just like, oh, don't cut off your family completely. Don't talk to them at all. And that was like the only guidance I had other than Facebook groups. I started searching online. Like I found out I was adopted, Colombian adoptee. What do I do? Because I didn't know there was like in-person meetups, support groups, things like that. I, I had never even like known an adopted person other than myself and now my brother. And so it was just a very, very confusing and frustrating time. Yeah. There's a lot of great resources these days, especially online. Uh, you talk about finding, you know, Columbia-based support groups. I started, you know, the Russian kind of adoptees group a long time ago and that caught fire. And before that, it's the same thing it didn't exist. Stuff like that was still new as the unknown and we're kind of exploring it together. So did you ever find out why your parents didn't tell you until 19? Did they ever come up with a reason? Yeah. Basically, my mom said she was afraid that if I found out that I was adopted, I would want to find my birth family and that she would lose me in that way. It was very like, still stigmatized i think back then and she had a lot of like infertility i would say like trauma she hadn't grieved that loss of not being able to bear her own children and growing up in an immigrant family like that was what she was raised to do she was raised to be a wife and to be a mother right and all her life she was taking care of her sister she was working really hard and so to get married and try for 10 years like that wound never really healed and in a lot of immigrant families unfortunately like mental health and like being a counselor to like talk about these things wasn't a reality and so like i don't think it was like a really conscious choice at first but as i got older around like three four i think i remember her telling me now like a few years ago that a cousin who was around the same age was telling me like oh you're adopted and i went home and i told her and i was crying i was like i don't know what this means and then she was like no 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 like they were just lying they were trying to make you feel bad you're not adopted and then from there on she told the entire family not to tell us and i think also a big part of it that she's mentioned is that she knew that we had a lot of prejudiced people in our family and that's just the unfortunate reality of my father's side. Of There's a lot of conservative people. And even on my mom's side, like extended aunts and uncles, like they had prejudices against people of color. There's still some in my family that have those. And I've had to cut them 
out because they refuse to change. And here I am, I'm multiracial, I'm indigenous, I'm Latina, and I have two boys that are also children of color, and I'm not going to subject them to that. And so I think in part, she said that she was trying to protect me because she didn't want them to treat us differently, which I do understand because I I am very familiar with my family and that that was a legitimate fear. And my dad, he was just like, not one to like really question like the parenting thing for him as an immigrant father, he was there to provide. So he paid the bills and he worked really hard and the parenting itself was up to my mom. Right. And so that's why like for the first year, I didn't really talk to her because I was like, this was your decision. You are the one who like mastermind this whole thing. And everybody went uh, like with you on it. And literally nobody in my family has discussed it with me to this day, except for like one cousin in passing. Wow. Do you think they ever will? I don't think so, because I'm a very outspoken person, as you can see, with my social media. <laughs> I don't, I really don't have much of a filter. And so if they were to address it with me, I, I would call them out on a lot of stuff. And like, there has been times where I've had to call out family members for how they're acting. And I had to cut off a lot of my dad's side. And I really don't interact with them anymore because I'm not going to subject myself to racism and nor my kids. And so I think that's like a big part of it is that they would have to struggle internally with their choices and how they are. So they're just avoiding it, but not even bringing it up. And so we're kind of at an impasse, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> both sides aren't moving yeah yeah wow that's definitely complicated but i think you know as long as you feel you're doing what is right then at the end of the day that's all that matters so yeah and I, like as you've known like i've learned so much about adoption and i've done so much extensive research about it and so even just sharing my own personal adoption story like one of my HuffPo essays went viral when I talked about like being lied to for 19 years. And then I was on like Tamron Hall and a bunch of other news shows. And my family never told me anything, but they went to my mom and they started like saying, oh, how dare she do that to you? Like, it's so disrespectful. And my mom would call me up and be like, you'll never believe like what they're saying. And I'm like, no, I believe it. And she she was like, no, they're like this is what she has to do to heal. And it took a long time for my mom to get to that place where she could be so understanding and stick up for me. But like the change has been phenomenal with her. And so to this day, like because of all that we went through and us like keeping at it, like we were able to heal and have find forgiveness for one another. Yeah, that's really great that you can you got that far, really. I mean, it shows a lot about character and who she is. And sometimes they won't budge, but you were able to succeed. So that's even better. So have you been back to Columbia? Not yet. I am going in November. We just bought the tickets. My eldest sister and I, my husband and my mother-in-law, we are going this November and we are going to meet our birth mom for the first time in person. We've been talking with her on and off for the past few years, but like this is the first time we, we started a GoFundMe last year and finally raised enough that we could go. Unfortunately, my second eldest sister, um, she can't go uh, due to personal reasons and like work and scheduling. But my sister-in-law is getting married in Colombia in a few years. So we're going to organize with her later on. So she's still going to go just a little bit later than us. Oh, okay. 
what are your uh, plans? You're going to see the sites or? I think like my main goal is to spend most of the week with my birth family and meet my siblings over there in person. I have three younger siblings and a nephew. And so I'm really excited to actually meet them and just be able to like, you know, hang out and get to know them because doing it all through like Zoom and online and like WhatsApp, like it's really hard to like build that connection. And the same thing went when I met my two elder sisters who were adopted into a different family Mm because about a year and a half, we were like texting and emailing and that connection was there, but it wasn't really like cemented until we met in person. So I think like that's like the main goal of this, this trip is like to actually like feel that bond and you know it'll feel real uh, in person and then we do want to go to the orphanages that we were adopted from and check those out and then just see a little bit of the town my mother-in-law she has a an art gallery too so like there are other things that we want to see and my husband's family is also over there too so there there are a few things that we want to do sounds like you won't be short of any connections or family members over there so yeah (laughs) so are you traveling as an american citizen or do you get to go on a colombian passport since you were born there i have dual citizenship so i had to actually get my colombian passport for this and that was like a year in the making it was such a complicated process because the consulates the colombian consulates i literally went to the one in jersey and they were like we have no idea how to help you like you you should just go to colombia and deal with that over there and I'm like, the law says I cannot go into Colombia on an American passport. Like, I'm not going to mess around with that. And like, what if I get stuck? Like, they won't let me leave. Like, that's going to be a big problem. <laughs> so I, it took like a year to get the paperwork. I had to end up, I went to the New York City consulate and they were much more helpful. But making appointments online, that's another struggle as adoptees because it's all in Spanish. And like, I I would try to like translate everything with the computer, but still not everything translates right. And then like on the phone, making appointments. And so we ended up having to just go there and wait literally like eight hours for a spot to open up. And I luckily got matched with this really, really sweet older gentleman who like walked me through the entire process. They had to do like fingerprinting and like you needed to get your uh, cedula, which is basically like your social security card in Colombia. And I think it was so powerful just sitting there in the consulate and then him typing in my name and I was there. They had me registered already as a citizen, but I just didn't have any other paperwork. So I think that was really like one of the first times that I felt connected to my Colombian identity because I'm like wow like I am really Colombian like I'm here (laughs) you know it's funny you went to the Colombian consulate in New York uh New York City I went to the Russian consulate in New York City on East 91st Street but anyway no I get that feeling when I was there 2013 last time when I went to Russia I had to go on a Russian passport you know same law like Colombia but when you're inside the consulate and you hear your native language and all the paperwork's in Russian and they give you that passport when you get it and it's Russian, you open it up and it says nationality Russian, you're like, whoa, like this is crazy. Think about it. It you know? is. And it's so intimidating too. Oh, like 100%. going there. And then because the way I look, I had people talking to me in Spanish left and right. Yep. And so they were confused. I'm answering in English because I don't speak Spanish fluently, but I understand enough because my parents taught me Italian. 
And so they would be like, oh, where do I go for this? I'm like, I don't know. This is my first time here. Like, sorry, sorry. Lo siento. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, I, I get that. That's Well, that's unique. It's definitely unique. So speaking of Colombian culture and all of that, you wrote a lot of articles where you talk about loss and grief about your culture. What have you done since, since then you were adopted to relearn any of the Colombian culture? Yeah, so I really had to start at the basics. One of my favorite things is music. So I really started exploring like reggaeton. Uh, one of my favorite like artists is Bad Bunny, even though he's Puerto Rican. But then we have Maluma and like all these people. And even in my childhood, I was always drawn to Latino music. Shakira was one of my favorites. And so that really started in, I think, college. And then I started to like try to figure out Colombian recipes because my dad was a chef. So food has always been like an important part of culture. So like I have a really obsession with good food. So I tried to learn how to cook. My first things were like platanos and empanadas. And I bought the like the wrong type of dough for the empanadas. And it ended up like a complete disaster. I had no idea how to cut platanos. And like if you've never cut them before, they can be like really thick and they look like a banana but they don't peel like a banana. So like that whole process, it it's weird because it seems like such a simple thing and a silly thing, but even just not knowing how to do those things, it would be hard emotionally. And I'd be like, oh, I should already know this. I should know the language. I should know these things. But it, it just takes time because I never was exposed to it. Right. And then my husband, he's half Colombian. So luckily I've been, ha I had his family to kind of help guide me through it. And so, like, like I mentioned, uh, they go back and forth to Colombia all the time. So, like, I have things on my desk, the little palanquitas with the, the uh, fruit that they sell. I have Colombian artwork now in my home. And Colombian food is a big staple. Like, I know how to make arepas now and actually can make manadas. And I'm teaching that to my kids, too. I was going to say, are you passing any your culture on to your kids? Yes, yes. And like this week, upcoming week, my my sons, two of them are they're going to the city to hang out with their grandma and their grandpa since it's summer break and they don't have camp next week. And so she has been an integral piece of cooking like more of the recipes that I are still I'm still trying to learn. And she speaks Spanish fluently. So now like the kids are being exposed to that on a week to week basis. I'm trying to learn and we're just doing it a little bit out of time. That's awesome, though. That's uh, it's really cool to be able to share something so personal to your uh, own family, you know, especially your children. That's something they're not going to forget, really. That's awesome. And, like, for them, their idea of Colombia is Encanto from the Disney movie. So they keep asking, like, when are we going to go to Encanto? When are we going to go? So we're really excited to, to go all together with my kids and the rest of the family for my sister-in-law's wedding in a few years. That'll be really cool. Get a family photo. You break the internet. Wow, that's, that's great. In one of your articles, you mentioned how parents need to stop telling their adopted kids that they should feel thankful for being adopted. Could you explain more about that and why you feel that way? Yeah. In the adoption industry, there has been such a huge problem with toxic positivity and depicting adoption as a happily ever after story. And the narrative is like adoption is going to give you a better life. That's what's told to birth moms. That's what's to adoptees and that's what's told to adoptive parents and so when parents say like we should be grateful we should be thankful for the opportunities that we're given it puts a lot of pressure on a child and it makes us kind of at least me and a lot of adoptees i've spoken to like kind of feel like a charity case you should be grateful we took you into our homes we didn't have to 
And these are things that I heard from my own parent. Well, if I didn't adopt you, you would have been left on the street. And that even just sharing my adoption story, like strangers on the internet, I've gotten so many messages and emails telling me that how wrong it is for, for me to talk about my story and how disrespectful it is because I should be grateful. And the thing is, adoption isn't just one-sided. Parents adopt because they want children. It's not just like an altruistic thing, you know, that comes from like white saviorism and like going to other countries and taking the poor orphans and bringing them back and assimilating us in. And so I think it's important for adoptive parents and foster parents that adoption isn't necessarily a better life. It's a different life. And I feel that I'm very aware of that because coming from an immigrant family, my parents had always told me how hard it was in their country of origin, how poor they were. They didn't even have like toothbrushes and then they they didn't even go to school regularly and all these things. They had all of these struggles. But at the end of the day, I asked my mom, like, would you have rather not gone through all of that and just been adopted into another family? And her answer is no. And the thing is, it's because biological ties are important and there is a loss there. No matter how many opportunities that have been afforded to me because of my adoption, there's also a loss. So adoption can be beautiful and it can be a good thing, but it also comes with this loss and this trauma of losing our first family. Yeah, I agree, which leads me to my next question about mental health. And I know that's a big topic that you started to talk about the beginning about identity and that seems to be a big topic in the adoption community. What other mental health struggles would you say from your professional experience or personal experience have you identified through your whole processes and your journeys so far? Yeah, I personally struggled with a deep, deep depression in college. And it took many years to get out of that place because my unique story of like not knowing and then finding out. But then I realized that I wasn't the only adoptee going through these things. So many adoptees adopted internationally or transracially go through similar identity struggles where we've been surrounded by people who don't look like this, us that don't speak the same language as our birth family. And like in the womb, we're carried for nine months and that's all we're exposed to. We know how much of an impact now that that has on a child in utero from studies and all this stuff. And like recent studies have also shown that adoptees are more likely to have things like anxiety and depression, um, even some health concerns. And adoptees are four times more likely to attempt suicide than non-adopted people. Like there are huge statistics and research that show that adoption isn't the happily ever after that is depicted. And so I think a lot more awareness has been made over these past few years. And I think there's been an uptick in like adoption competent therapists. And I think that has played a significant role, but there is still a lot of growth that needs to happen because people just sit here, oh, you were adopted? That's wonderful. Your parents are saints. Your life must be amazing. But the truth is a lot of adoptees, even in the most well-adjusted and loving homes, can still struggle with their mental health. Yeah, no, I agree. What do you think the mental health community, in terms of the professionals, counselors, therapists, psychiatrists, psychologists, what do you think they can learn from the adoption community of how to help? Uh, how to help? I feel like now a lot more people are listening to adult adopted people and former foster youth. So I think adding consultations with adoptees and adding that to the curriculum because it's usually just a paragraph or like one of the common things with psychologists and psychiatrists is the ACE scores. They're like 
adverse childhood experiences. And one of them is adoption. But it's not really explored much beyond that point from the surface. So if I just go see a psychiatrist and I was like, oh, I was adopted, unless I insist that we approach those subjects, like it's kind of brushed aside because they're like, oh, like you had food, you had a home and you went to school, like you're, you're good. But health isn't just about being fed and clothed. It's about having that support for our identities and being able to explore those things like the loss. And if you think if a child loses their, their mother or father, their biological mother or father at age three or four, or even an infant through death, we say, wow, what a loss. That child is always going to wonder what their mother was like, what their father was like. But an adopted child, you're like, oh, let's not think about that. That's fine. They have a new mother and father. Yeah. No, I can see how you would say that. Yeah. Because it's like, well, you lost one set. You have another one, though. So <laughs> like, okay, it's not that easy, but yeah. So when you travel back to Columbia and you're going to meet face to face for the first time, your family over there. What are some takeaways you really want from your trip? Or like, what outcome are you hoping for in an ideal situation? <laughs> in an ideal situation, one of my biggest things is I want to find out more information about my birth father. And mm -hmm. like, I don't necessarily like need a relationship with him, but I would like to know what his name is, if he's still alive, if she remembers him, like information about that. Any details about that relationship, if they ever stayed in contact, stuff like that. And then I think the biggest thing is I really want to connect with my siblings. I feel like me and my older sisters who were adopted and my bio siblings that were kept, we didn't have an option in any of this. And so this is just something that kind of was thrust <laughs> upon us and something that we've had to deal with. So I think just having the support of one another and just being able to be like, wow, this is weird. This is complicated. This is complex, but we're finally in each other's lives. Feel that bond in person and just be able to hang out and it not be weird. Yeah. <laughs> because essentially, like, we've been pen pals, basically, but we, we really don't know what it's like to meet in person. So I think understanding that and then learning more about what their likes and dislikes, you know, walking around the town and just learning where like my birth mother about more about her life and our, our birth family. That'll definitely be a trip of a lifetime. I, yes, I went back to Russia. Yeah. About 10 years ago and did my culture search and meeting family. And it's something that just is even to this day, it's unbelievable that you did it. I mean, just thinking about it, but are you going to keep a journal or a blog going while you're traveling over there or how you're going to, re re you know, record all the things you learn. Yeah, I've already tasked my husband with recording everything through video, like from the initial meeting and stuff. Oh, even better. Yeah, because I'm like, I'm not going to want to think about it. I'm not going to be remembering to record every all the special moments. But like for him, it's a little more distance because it's not his birth mom. You know, like he's there to support me. And he's been a great. He has the he has the honey to do list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he already knows and he's ready. So like, I'm definitely going to be taking videos and stuff. I think the trip itself, I'm not going to vlog or post much about it live. I think I'm going to post about it when I come back and have some time to reflect upon it. But I am totally going to take so many pictures and videos and just anything I can to remember the moment. And I'm going to bring like an extra suitcase so I can just buy a bunch of things to bring back for my kids. And I want to bring a bunch of stuff. My I've been working on putting together a photo album for my birth mom That's and her great. family. 
so she can see she wasn't there. So I feel like that would be a really good gift. And I want things that are meaningful that they'll be able to use and stuff like that. So I think it's going to be an emotional trip, but at the core of it, I think it's definitely been a long time in the making and I'm, I'm ready. I'm beyond ready at this point. Well, I do know from personal experience, when you're ready, it's time. That's it. There's no going back, no questions asked. It's when you finally thought about it and there's no other option, you're like, I need to meet them. I need to do this. I'm done waiting. It's time. Then you go and you just enjoy the ride. That's what you got to do. Definitely. So my last question for you is, what are your final thoughts or advice you would pass along to any other adoptee that is going to listen to you? about your experiences and what you've shared to us today. Yeah, I think my like main point of advice is to slow down. I feel like a lot of us can be overwhelmed with the idea of like finding birth family and like learning more about a birth culture and, and we can be feel like rushed to do all these things right away. But to understand that we weren't afforded the same privileges as biological children who were exposed to these things in their day-to-day lives. So we have a lot of catch-up to do. So it's okay for it to take time. We don't need to rush into it. And even meeting birth family, like make sure you take it at your own pace. Because if you push yourself to do too much too soon, that's going to affect you mentally and you're going to struggle even more. And I think a lot of us, we have hopes and dreams of like our ghost kingdom, like that's often referred to like the idea of what our birth family is like. But reality can be much, much different. And particularly between like me and my siblings that were adopted into different families, we all had adoption trauma in different ways. And we were all still processing it. So the process of reuniting wasn't as smooth as like the movies and news stories show. So if I had known and had guidance now, like back then from what, like what I know now, I would have taken it much slower. I wouldn't have put so much weight into the initial interactions and just given one another like more time to process. And I think that's what a lot of adoptees need to do when it comes to their own stories, because we do have time, you know, not necessarily, we don't need to rush into everything. And I think that will help you process and reach your goals um, rather than, you know, like doing it all at once and then just giving up. Right. Well, that's, that's great advice. Promise us one thing when you do get back from your trip, come back and share with us your entire experience, because I'd love to hear it. And I'm sure the listeners would love to hear it too. Yeah, I will love to share once I get back. And like this time around, I am making sure I take as many pictures as possible. And I'm going to be shouting it from the rooftops. I know. (laughs) Awesome. Well, that's great. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for your time today and your continued dedication to adoption. And it's people like you that keep driving the conversation to the direction that it's supposed to be. And I appreciate you. And thank you again for allowing some time today to hear your story and just listen to you. It was great. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure talking to you and just hearing from another adoptee who did go back to the birth country. It's nice to like help me prepare. And if anybody is new to me, you can find me at Adoptee Thoughts on TikTok, on Instagram. My website is adopteethoughts.com. I have a podcast. I have books. I have a lot of resources that are free, that are out there. And if you ever want to send me a DM, I'm up for chatting too. (laughs) That's awesome. We'll definitely include all the links and make sure we get you out there and have another resource for all the adoptees out there. Thank you again, Melissa. Thank you. Folks, that was another episode of Voice of Adoptees. We really appreciate you stopping by. Next time, 
we'll have another adoptee share their story similar to Melissa's. You can join us at voiceofadoptees.com. And if you know anyone else that's adopted and they want to share their story, send them our way. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Voice of Adoptees. Please take a moment to like, subscribe, and leave a review. See you next time.